You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning. So when uh, our children's talk was given and Jess opened up with that key question, what's the best thing? I know my answer. Guys, what was your answer? She married me. She said yes. I was wondering what Ellen thought. Yeah, we'll leave that for later. So we're continuing our series. It's a mini-series right now in the Gospel of Luke, Who's Your One? Three-week series, very intentional to lead us to Easter. And so... Uh, One of the things that I stumbled across this week was a very interesting story that goes all the way back to the 19th century, but relevant today as it was then. Uh, A gentleman, his name is uh, Bradlaugh. Let me show you his picture. He's a devout atheist at the time, and and you can uh, can Google this guy. He He was renowned in his day and a little bit antagonistic to the Christian faith, and so he contacts a leading uh, Methodist pastor who worked in the streets and slums of London, and he says, hey, I want to challenge you to a debate. How interesting. Nothing has changed, right? Debates go on all the time between Christians, atheists, and the like. And so Hughes had, I think, divine wisdom. He says, I will agree to the debate on one condition. You bring a hundred and people, men and women, young and old. I'll bring a hundred and people, men and women, young and old. We'll let them tell their stories about the evidence of how either atheism or Christianity has impacted your life. Well, of course, that was a pretty genius suggestion by the Christian pastor. Why? Because he had saw Uh, constantly life transformation, working in the streets, the slums of London, sharing the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many people's lives have been transformed by atheism? And so our topic this morning, the power of the gospel. There was an individual, his name was Saul 2,000 years ago. And he was an antagonist to Christianity. In fact, he hated Christ, persecuted the church, but something happened. The best thing happened. He had an encounter with the living Christ. And his life was changed from the inside out. And I want to highlight a verse this morning that Paul wrote. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 16. On the screen, follow along. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he gives the reason why. Because it is the God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. That's a remarkable statement. A man who hated Christians, persecuted the church, despised Christ, his life was transformed from the inside out. That's what this Who's, this one, who's Your One series is all about. A few weeks ago, we looked at Luke 5. Do you remember the gentleman in the ancient world who was lame? His dignity was gone. He basically couldn't work, provide for himself, for his family. He lived in shame. And he had a band of brothers who loved him enough to introduce him to Jesus. And I love that story, Luke 5. Cut a hole in a roof of some some guy's house, drops him in, aerial drop. And the first thing Jesus says to him, do you remember? Created a ruckus, your sins are forgiven. 
And of course, there was great debate and dialogue. Who can forgive sins except God? That's the point. Jesus is God. And then he says, well, if you don't think I can forgive sins, rise, take up your mat, and walk. And he did. This individual was transformed by the gospel. Your sins are forgiven from the inside out. He had new life, holistic. Body, soul, and spirit, his life was transformed. And then if you were with us last week, we looked at Luke 15, my all-time favorite parable. Father had two sons. Both were lost. One was rebellious. One had religion. He pursues both of them lovingly by grace. The younger son, the rebel, says, I'm dead to you. I want my money, my estate. He goes off and parties. He parties hard. Sin always brings death, and that's what happened. Started working for a pig farmer as a Jewish boy. Not a good thing. Started eating carapods, <laughs> not very tasty. And next thing you know, he says, I'm going home to serve. I'm going home to work and pay it all back to my dad. What does dad do? Has none of it. Runs to his son, kisses him. Gives him a coat of honor, a ring, which is the checkbook. Shoes for his feet. You're not coming home as a slave. You're coming home as a son. And then he says, kill the fattened calf. A lot of people are going to party. Why? My son who was lost is now found who is dead, is now alive. Folks, that is the power of the gospel. And that's what Who's Your One is all about. Now, a few weeks ago, we heard from Connor Elmett. He told his story. Who was his one? His dear wife, Becky. Way to go, Becky. And then Caitlin Lundeen had a college friend who said yes to her, invested in her. Well, this morning, we get to hear from one of our new elders sitting over there, waving to me. Got the big smile going on. Let's take a look at uh, Tyler's story. Good morning, Westman Church. My name is Tyler Wright, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share part of my testimony with you this morning. Growing up, uh, I did not follow Jesus. Uh, in fact, I rejected Christianity and religion in general. In middle school and high school especially, I was exposed to a lot of examples of uh, hypocrisy, um, a lot of judgment and um, resentment and, and exclusivism uh, that, that gave me a, a distaste for Christianity and it gave me a misunderstanding of what following Jesus looked like. Um, however, in high school, I ended up making good friends with a guy named Kyle Flickinger, Flick, who um, I saw a different type of Christianity in him. Uh, I didn't really understand it at the time, but his life was a testimony to the redemptive work that, that Jesus had done in his life and the transformation that he had made. During high school, my identity was built on my accomplishments, whether that was athletics, academics, or in the music scene. Um, so junior and senior year, when I had a series of injuries followed by some bad choices, I felt like my identity was stripped away from me, and I, I went through a serious crisis. Um, I started turning to other things to, to feel fulfilled and feel gratification and affirmation. And unfortunately, a lot of those things that I was seeking out um, led to my friends rejecting me and disowning me as their friends, um, except one, uh, Flick. Flick stayed with me. Um, he extended me mercy and grace. He continued to challenge me and push me. Um, but most importantly, uh, the love of Jesus overflowed from him to me. Um, and his friendship was 
really important to me during that time in my life. When I got to college, uh, I was still kind of in, in that low, low point. Um, I met another good friend, Cole Dykey, um, who kind of received the baton pass from Flick, um, became my friend, formed a relationship with me, constantly <laughs> preached the gospel to me, although my heart was hard, but also just sought to be friends with me and care about me. During freshman year, I continued to, to reject Christianity and reject the gospel. Um, but I, looking back, I see that, that Flick and Cole both kept pouring into me. So summer after freshman year of college, Cole and Flick and I and some other friends went to uh, Cornerstone Christian Music Festival uh, like we had in the past. And like I had in the past, uh, my heart was hard as, as people talked about Jesus and I, I resented the hypocrisy that I saw. Um, but one night uh, during one set, uh, something changed. The guitarist from the burial shared his testimony uh, from stage at the end of their set. And he talked about dealing with depression and self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, and uh, the guilt and the shame that he felt, but then the uh, freedom that he had, had found in Jesus, knowing that his, his debts had been paid. The way he shared his testimony uh, resonated with me. And for the first time, uh, I understood what following Jesus looked like and why people <laughs> followed Jesus. And so that night after the set, uh, I went and found him backstage and just shared with him um, how much I appreciated his honesty and his vulnerability in sharing his brokenness um, and, and how much it meant to me. And he straight up asked uh, if I believed in Jesus and if I followed Jesus as my savior. And I told him that I wanted to. And so he prayed with me that night. Um, and even though Flick and Cole weren't there for the moment when I stepped over the faith line, uh, they were there helping me understand what following Jesus looked like before. And afterwards, they were there to celebrate with me and they were there to disciple me and help show me even more what it looked like to follow Jesus. Thank you. Great story. By the way, it was like 40 minutes of footage that Nate had to trim up to. He's got a story. Nate's got a hard job. That's all I can say. Way to go. We really appreciate it. And so my question is this. For the past few weeks, we've asked you to intentionally and prayerfully pray about one individual to engage, like a Connor, right? like a Tyler, right? Just, just reaching out like a Caitlin. And yet I wonder this question, because as we mapped out this series, we thought intentionally, are there some people in your life that you might think are a little bit beyond reach or just beyond reach? Maybe like a Tyler? I know Ellen and I have some family members that are pretty hardened right now. You know what we're going to see today? We're going to see there's hope for all. No one is beyond the reach of the powerful gospel of God. It's interesting, the word in Romans uh, 1, 16 is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. We're not talking about an explosive kind of power, firecracker power, but we are talking about a, a word that demonstrates the gospel can transform lives. And so I want to invite you to turn to our passage this morning, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. We're going to look from verses uh, 32 through 43. We're just going to stay fixed on that passage. 
Hopefully you have your Bibles. We always, as Pastor Jason said, encourage you to take notes just internally and to pass those on so that your Connect card is there. But let me start with a blessing. Each one of us can engage our one. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. All we have to do is live the gospel, as was illustrated in Tyler's friends, and then share the gospel. I love the one-two punch, how it worked out in Tyler's life. He saw the gospel, then he heard the gospel, and his life was transformed. So three powerful aspects of the gospel this morning. Aspect number one, the gospel is powerful to forgive. Let me take you back to Luke 5. Remember, the guy's getting lowered through the roof. First thing Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Friends, I hope you realize this morning the ultimate need you and I have before God is forgiveness. Why? Your sins have separated you from God. Sin brings death, spiritual and eternal death. And so the ultimate issue of the gospel is redemption, forgiveness of sin. It's Christ's blood sacrifice. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. So let me show you that in our passage. Please look there. Verses 32 through 34, two others. Criminals were also led away to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Then Jesus said, and this is a remarkable thing, Father Forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Just imagine the implications of that statement after going through such torture and barbarism that Roman crucifixion afforded. By the way, the Romans didn't create uh, crucifixion. It had been around for centuries from the Assyrians on down. You know what they did? They perfected it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. This is torture. This is excruciating pain. It is absolute shame in a culture of honor and shame. And yet the first thing Christ prays from the cross aloud, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, that's remarkable. That's just absolutely remarkable. Now, I want to keep it simple this morning. And so I asked three questions, basically, to address this issue of Jesus, first words out of his mouth, Father, forgive them. So I want to ask those questions, and I want to address them. And the first question is this, why did Jesus cry aloud? And we know that from the full Gospels. People heard this cry. It was a public decoration. And the first answer is to fulfill prophecy. If you recall, our journey through Luke has all been about fulfillment, right? That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and constantly the gospel writers are pointing back to fulfilled prophecy. A few months ago, we passed out a booklet. It's still available if you'd like. PDF, we can email it. A hundred prophecies fulfilled in Christ. How remarkable. Let me show you one, and this is so specific to this situation. It's Isaiah 53, 12. He submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Friends, that is remarkable. 
700 years before the crucifixion of Christ, the prophet Isaiah is saying this. He's going to pray at Calvary for rebellious people like you and me. Now, I think you would agree, you know the scene enough, right? There was a lot of rebellion going on at the foot of the cross, and we'll highlight that in a few verses. But let me suggest this. The application should be clear and far-reaching to each and every one of us. Here Christ is at Calvary, 700 years after it's been prophesied through Isaiah, he's fulfilling prophecy. What does that suggest about the Word of God? We lift it high, don't we? God has put his name on par with his word, the scripture says. We lift it high, we honor it, and we can trust it. You know, when I first came to Westland close to three years ago, there was this theme that we had for the year. Do you remember the theme? Abide daily. Why do we abide daily? Because the word is living and active. Because man, woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The word is able to transform. We can have the mind of Christ. We can know and do the will of God. Ultimately, so we would live as people of faith, Hebrews 11, and faithfully. I've run the race. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith, Paul said. That's the goal here. So why does Christ pray out loud to fulfill prophecy and people heard that? Now in addition, when he cried aloud, there was a message then and a message today, dear friends. Think about the heinous crimes that were committed against the eternal Son of God at Calvary. Let me show that to you. Look in your Bibles. It's diabolical. Verses 35 to 39, the people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Folks, can you imagine? Look at the words in the passage. Scoffing, mocking, insulting, ridiculing. Wow. And yet, to them, in that immediate context, to all those people, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a remarkable thing. I would suggest this morning the reason they did it is they had no clue who was hanging at Calvary. He's just one of the thousands who got crucified under Rome. Why? Rome kept their thumb on people through crucifixion. Yeah, you heard of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome? Oh, there was peace, all right, through crucifixion. Obey or else. That's how it worked. And so he cries for forgiveness after such torture. But friends, don't only think just back then, think today. Please hear me. I believe Jesus cried aloud not only so they could hear, but for the past 2,000 years, we could all hear this message of hope. Father, forgive them. Keith Missile does not know what he's doing. Tyler Wright, in his antagonism to Christianity, does not know what he's doing. That's exactly what Paul said. 
If you're familiar with Paul's story, it's in 1 Timothy and three times in the book of Acts. And Paul says, I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. Isn't that remarkable? Paul says, I had no idea that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And friends, when you and I pursue people that we love and care for, please realize this. A lot of it is just simply ignorance. They just don't know who Jesus is. And through our lifestyle and through the powerful gospel, do we then reveal who Jesus is? And the aha moment takes place at a concert, and a life is transformed, a family's transformed. And ministry to the glory of God happens. How remarkable. And so can I ask a favor this morning? Put yourself at Calvary's cross today. Why? Because Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world and through one man and death through sin, in this way desperate to all, to all, why? Because all have sinned. That's me. That's you. That's us. That's young and old. We've all sinned. A pamphlet that we used to use some years ago in a training similar to Who's Your One? I want to show it to you. It's called a faith pamphlet. But the picture on the cover is pretty revealing. Different ages, different ethnicities. And notice the hammer and the nails. It's a picture of us. We've nailed Jesus to the tree. So folks, just don't think about those mocking, ridiculing, and insulting. Think about your sin and mine. Think about this past week. Basically, sin can be categorized in, in three, three ways, right? The things we say, the things we think, and the things we do. How was your speech this past week? Was it always God-honoring? Or was there gossip? Was there slander? Was there things against others? What about your thought process? The attitudes of the hearts, the motivations of the hearts, are they always God-honoring? And then in our actions, the sins of omission, the sins of commission, Sometimes maybe we're more guilty of the things we don't do, like praying and being generous and sharing the good news of Christ. And so the list adds up, doesn't it? But thank God today there's hope. The gospel's powerful. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They're living in ignorance. Father, forgive them. They don't know the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God is hanging at Calvary. And so here's the question we all must personalize this morning. Have you experienced the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ? Past, present, and future sins washed away. What a gift. And then when we engage our one, you know what the blessing is, folks? The number one need in people's lives is to be freed from the guilt and shame, from the separation from God because of their sin, to have God redeem them through Christ's finished work at Calvary. What a blessing to bring that message of hope and forgiveness. First Timothy 2 is a beautiful passage, and I want to read verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human who gave himself a ransom for all and a testimony at the proper time. Friends, what a blessing that is. One mediator between God and man, Father, forgive him. It's Jesus. Secondly, the gospel is powerful to, dis to secure our future. 
We've said this all along in the Gospel of Luke that Luke loves contrast, right? So think about what's going on here at Calvary. Here is the sinless Son of God hanging there at Calvary, right? And there's one thief here and one thief there, and they are living in contrast. Both had equal opportunity. They heard, Father, forgive them. Both saw what happened to the sinless Son of God, and yet they respond so radically different. So let's take a look at that response. The contrast, contrast number one, one is convicted and the other complains. Look, if you would, at verses 39 through 41. The one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Do you see the contrast? It's a remarkable scene, folks, because we get an idea that Christ hung at Calvary from between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. for about six hours. And there is a lot of ministry and a lot to learn. There is a theology, a biblical theology, in the seven statements of Christ. But it's real interesting what we learn from the two thieves. Because I think we get a picture of how humanity for the past 2,000 years have responded to Christ. What was the first response? More insults, more mocking. Hey, if you're truly the Messiah, get us out of here. Save yourself and save us. Nothing but introspective, nothing but self-centeredness. However, on the flip side, there's another thief, and he represents the brokenness, the contriteness, the conviction and confession of sin, the repentance of sin. Hey, we are here justly. We have sinned. We're capital criminals. We've fallen short of the glory of God. This man is here, and he's absolutely innocent. Friends, that is a beautiful, beautiful picture of genuine repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the statement, and so he asked the dude who's complaining still, who's harassing Christ, who's hard-hearted, don't you fear God? Let me ask you a question this morning. Would you agree that's a question of the ages? Because here's what I would conclude. If there's no fear of God in a person's life and heart, guess what? They just go around like this one thief, hardened, self-centered, doing their own thing, pointing the finger. But when there's a fear of God, when there's a reverence of God, there is an introspection. I've sinned. He's perfect. I'm not. I'm getting what is justly due me. And that is the picture of the gospel. The Spirit of God brings conviction. And when we're convicted of our sin, we go inside. And there's brokenness. There's turning, repentance. But there's also putting your faith and trust in Christ. What a blessing. That's why Proverbs 1.7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
You know, it's interesting when you study the Proverbs of the ancient world, there's a lot of uh, Mesopotamia, Egypt. They had their proverbial language. They had their proverbial scriptures. Guess what? It never included God. It was all just about knowledge and wisdom and skill for life. You know what Proverbs starts out with? Wisdom, knowledge, truth, understanding starts by looking up. The fear, the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's what he had. Don't you fear God? I fear God here. I'm here justly. And boy, God meets him. Contrast number two, one is confident in Christ, the other is confident in self. Look at Luke 23, 42. I love this simple statement from Calvary. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Friends, that's an incredible statement. Would you agree? Because I'll tell you this, in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is being crucified, you know what Matthew teaches? Both criminals insulted him, mocked him, ridiculed him. Both did. They were on the same page. But something happened at Calvary where he looks at Jesus and he said, your kingdom, and if you have a kingdom, that must mean you're a king. He says, King Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. King Jesus, today I'm putting my faith and trust in you as Savior and Lord. I think you hold the keys to my eternal destiny. King Jesus, remember me. Wow. That's confidence in Christ. Now, it begs the question, what happened? How do two hardened criminals have such a contrasting response? One stays hardened, mocking, insulting, the other's broken over sin. I think there's an answer, dear friends, because this is the first cry of seven from Calvary. It's the first cry. Why is forgiveness first at Calvary? Because Jesus has seven, six, seven total, six other things that he said. Why does he start out with forgiveness? Because he came to seek and to save lost people. And these two thieves needed the gospel too. They were not beyond reach. But one of the things we learned from the Greek grammar here is this is an imperfect active indicative. Don't be weird about that. But what it means is Jesus repeated this phrase, Father, forgive them over and over and over again. Friends, it wasn't a one-off, so track with me. Just imagine... You're having your wrist nailed to the timber. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're having your feet nailed to the post. Father, forgive them. They're ignorant of what's going on here. The crown of thorns, the mocking, the insulting, the spitting, the cursing. Father, forgive them. Time and time again, he cried out, Father, forgive. I believe this with all my heart. The one thief heard that, and he just said, wow, truly this must be the Son of God. Jesus, remember me. King Jesus, remember me when you enter paradise, which is synonymous with heaven. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of how the gospel transforms. Can I encourage you today? When you share the message of the good news, it really does start with our problem, and our problem is sin. And it really does start with the solution. The solution is forgiveness through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 
Start there, folks. That's where Jesus started with these thieves on the cross, and one said, yes. He repents, remember me now, finally, and it's beautiful. Power number three, the power of the gospel is experienced by faith in Christ. Please don't miss this. Look at your Bible, please. 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me where? In heaven. (laughs) The only thing more outlandish than the request by the thief was that it was granted by Christ. Would you agree? Remember me. That's outlandish. He's a capital criminal. He's ready to die under Rome's torture, crucifixion. That's outlandish. But you know what's more outlandish? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's Luke 15, folks. That's a father running to a renegade son, hugging, kissing, an honorable robe, the signet ring, the shoes, the party. That is grace. God's grace. And so, Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't miss that, dear friends. This thief calls upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, remember me. Jesus says, today, I'll see you in heaven. Quite remarkable. So what a day for the thief. In the morning, he was justly crucified on the cross. By late evening, he was justly welcomed into paradise by Jesus. That's the gospel. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, and it is powerful. I want to close with a visual aid this morning. I love the history of the cross In the first few hundred years, it was very difficult for the cross to uh, gain recognition why it was still an instrument of torture, barbarism, and death. It was very hard. But when the scriptures got out, guess what happened? The cross became the dominant symbol of Christianity. Go to Jerusalem today, small city in the old city, 50 churches. And guess what? They all have a unique cross that tells a story. Let me show you one of my favorite crosses. This comes out of the Russian Orthodox Church, and it has a beautiful testimony to the passage we just studied this morning. I want to highlight the lower cross beam. If you see the lower cross beam to my right, your right, it goes down. The other cross beam goes up. The history of the cross is it reflects the two thieves, one to Christ's right, one to his left. Why one goes down? Folks, that's the hardened thief, unrepentant of his sin, mocking, cursing, self-centered. Your sins have separated you from your God. And that cross beam that goes down reflects the hardened, unrepentant sinner. Goes down where? Separated from God for all eternity because of sin. The Bible's term for that is hell. I know that's harsh, I know it's hard, but it's reality. But then on the flip side, look at the other cross beam. It's a cross beam that goes up and it represents the broken, the contrite, the repentant sinner 
who looks to Jesus, puts his faith in him. In his final hours, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And what happens? Today, I'll see you in heaven. And so, I would contend two things this morning. The beautiful thing about this cross here, it represents humanity. Some hear the good news, say no, reject, and there's that separation that continues, and that's sad. And as we pursue our one, that's still going to happen, friends. There's still going to be the hard-heartedness, the antagonism towards Christ, but we never give up hope. However, there are going to be some Like the repentant thief who says yes to Christ, yes to forgiveness, experiences the power of the gospel, and boy, go up. It's a picture of humanity. But before we close, we really have to personalize this this morning. When you look at that lower cross beam, where do you see yourself today? I hope and I pray with all my heart, you see yourself on the cross beam that is going up. You've repented of your sins. You put your faith in Christ. You called upon the name of the Lord and were saved. And Jesus says, you have the gift and hope of eternal life. That's the gospel. I hope you see yourself there. If you don't, and you've never called upon the name of the Lord and have been saved, today could be the day of your salvation. And so I'd like to just Take a few moments, and in reverence to God, because we fear the Lord, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. And if you're here today and you say, you know, Keith, I see my sin. I see my sin has separated me from my God, and I fear the Lord. And I see what Christ did at Calvary. He offers forgiveness. And today, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ. You can do that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When I became a Christian, I prayed a simple prayer of faith from my heart to the Father, and he heard that prayer. I was transformed. If it's your desire to make that decision today, I invite you to pray along with me. Call upon the name of the Lord. Be saved. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you today for sending Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the King. And Father, I confess I'm a sinner. And I turn from my sin today. And I put my faith and trust in Christ. I thank you for forgiving me all my sins. And for giving me hope in this life and for all eternity. And I thank you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together, please.